Um, the last few weeks, we've been praying through some of the Psalms um, and, and keeping a focus on the conflict in the Middle East. Um, so if you would, I know it's kind of up, down, up, down, but if you would stand for the reading of the scripture, I'm going to read through Psalm uh, chapter 113. So if you guys would go ahead and stand. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes. He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We praise you in the middle of the storm. We praise you in the middle of conflict. We praise you when our lives are downtrodden, when we're depressed, anxious, and hurt. We praise you. God, for we know that you work all things together for good. We know that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives and for this world. And, and God, that's where we place our hope is in your second coming and the return of the Lord where we will gather together with you in the sky. So this morning, we praise you. Lord, we praise your holy name. And it's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat, and let's get started. We, uh, we've been going through this series on themes through Romans, and um, <clears throat> we've covered the, the role of the law, what the purpose of the law is, why he gave us this Old Testament law, um, and we covered, last week we covered justification uh, through faith and this morning we're going to cover uh, sin and redemption. Last week I had an awesome opportunity. I know I, I say it up here often um, that I repent of my busyness, that I, I tend to get too busy, throw too many things on my plate, and life just goes by at such a fast pace where I'm missing the stillness and the quietness of God. Um, last week I took the time to be able to say, let's pump the brakes on life slow down a little bit and rest. And it was awesome. I got to go to Wyoming um, and fish this river with uh, a few of our brethren pastors from around the nation uh, that Miles set up. If you guys remember Pastor Miles, this guy here on the left, or on the right in the red sweater, and then Dan Ackers is our regional director down in Arizona. And we took some time uh, just fishing on the river. It was three days of fishing, and then the first day we did a half day of fishing and we went on this hike um, to Alcova in, in Wyoming. And my sole intention in going this week uh, as they asked what are our goals for the week at the beginning of the week was to be still, be quiet and listen, um, ask some questions of other brethren pastors and leaders to learn and to hear from God. And God spoke. 
Um, God was, was good, and he was faithful to meet with me, and I, I came home feeling refreshed and re-energized um, as if I had gone onto the top of a mountain and met with God. Um, I'll share a few stories from this trip, but there were so many ties and analogies that can be drawn from spending a week or a few days on a fishing boat with a guide. Um, every night we would come back home and we would share, you know, what, what did God teach you today? Where did you see God working? And the, the ties were when you're sitting on a boat with three men and the guy in the middle is your guide, that guide acted in so many different ways as a pastor to both of us. When our lines would get tangled up and you get, you know, those crazy bird nests in the fishing line. The guide is the one who pulls it from the tree and untangles it, and he's the one who fixes your fly when it gets lost in the trees, right? That happened a few times. Um, He's the one that pulls the fish off the hook. He guides you. He's the one that's telling you, hey, if you want to catch a fish, it's over in that pocket. Try to put it right in that pocket, and sure enough, a fish hits your line. He's the one that if you listen carefully to his words, you will be a successful fisherman. And, and time after time, uh, as we watched and we learned from our guides, it was proven that discipleship happens when you're sitting closely in context with someone and they're sharing life with you. And so it was a life-on-life life three days spent with this fishing guide who pointed out all of the mysteries of God that we could see throughout the day. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, we got to go up on a mountaintop and overlook this beautiful scenery. I don't know if anybody else lives in Wyoming. It's such a sparse state that this, this whole day, I think we only saw maybe three people, and we walked for miles, and we drove around this entire state, it felt like, and there were no other cars or no other people. And we, we climbed to the top of the mountain to hear from God. Today we're going to talk about Redemption. On the second day of fishing, I spent the entire day fishing, and I didn't catch a single fish. That's what you call getting skunked. And I came back. I was the only one in the group that did not catch a fish. Everybody else, they were catching fish left and right. They, they, everybody caught a fish except for me. And I couldn't help but feel a little bit jealous. Like, I'm listening, God. I'm listening. I, I'm, I'm trying to cast my, my line to where he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm keeping the, the flies dry. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not catching a fish. And the guys around me, they were great. They're like, hey, man, tomorrow, tomorrow's your day. You're going to get one. You're going to get one. And sure enough, the next day I go out there, and I'm not catching anything. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? So many times I looked at the guy, and I said, what am I doing wrong? I can't catch a fish. And he's like, you're not doing anything wrong. The fish just aren't biting your line. And I was like, ah, it's so frustrating. I just want to catch the fish. And I, pers- I persisted. And I said, okay, God, what are you teaching me here? What, what is this lesson that I'm supposed to learn? And it came to the final two hours of the day on our last day of fishing. And I caught the big one. I caught the big one, and I was so happy. It was, it was the biggest fish of all three days. And immediately I thought, this is redemption. My week 
is redeemed. I said, let's, let's just pull the boat off to the side of the river. I'm good. Let's go home. And uh, it, fortunately for me, I was able to land the big fish. It's a 24-inch rainbow trout. And I thought, this is the perfect story for what we're going to learn about today. Redemption. When we are patient and we're, we're listening to God's word, right? We're listening to what he's speaking to us. There's going to be times when we become impatient because we don't know what he's trying to teach us, but he is trying to tell us a story. If you think about it, I pulled up the list of the greatest redemption stories written, and, and these are on the list, right? Crime and Punishment. A Christmas Carol, Les Miserables, Jane Eyre, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, one of my favorites, The Count of Monte Cristo, right? A Tale of Two Cities, and of course from the book of Hosea, Redeeming Love. The best stories that we listen to and we get attached to are the ones where there is a, a theme of redemption, where the persistent, the patient, the, the ones who are listening and trying to do what is right and they're, they're, they're walking down that right path and they're doing all that they're trying to do right, nothing ever seems to be going right or, or they're wronged in some way until eventually there is victory through redemption. That is the story of the gospel. And we're going to look at that as we go through uh, Romans. So if you open your Bibles, if you want to go through uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 31 is where we're going to spend most of the time today. But as we started this, we said, this is kind of my theme verse for this whole series. For I am not ashamed of the gospel in Romans chapter 1, 16. Romans is highly systematic in its theology. It, it tackles some of the hardest, most uh, complicated words that we know in Christianity. Okay? Some of the things said in Romans are hard to handle because they go against our culture, they go against things that we might have typically believed, and they say this is how it is. But, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we don't have to try to justify the words that are said. We need to accept them, read them, and as I said, take it out exegetically by looking at this scripture to say, this is what the scripture is saying to us, not this is what I see in scripture. Okay? Read out of it instead of reading into it. Um, we've gone through, like I said, this was where we've been so far today. We're going to be in sin and redemption. Many scholars consider Romans 3, 21 through 31 to be the most significant theological section in the entire Bible because in this one paragraph or so, there's the words of sin, righteousness, justification, redemption, propitiation, grace, faith, and it's all in this one tight, short part of Scripture. Okay? This, it's so, ten, or so dense in its theology that guys like Dr. Jack Arnold from Dallas Theological Seminary said, you can never understand and appreciate salvation without understanding the meaning of these words. And, and when he spoke this, because this was from a sermon that he spoke, one of these little girls that was listening in his sermons came up to a mom later and said, mom, I don't know the definitions of those words, but I know I have trusted in Jesus. Is it true that I'm not saved if I don't know the meaning of those big words? Right? And it's like, oh, you're so, 
this sweet little girl. She, she didn't quite understand all the theological terms, but her heart was right before the Lord. Salvation is simple, okay? If a person has confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, they will be saved. I believe this little girl who trusts in Jesus and believes in her heart, even though you may not understand all the big theological terms, you still have received the salvation. However, it is our responsibility to dive deep into the understanding of these words so that we can appreciate the salvation in which we've been given. I, I think for a lot of us, we, maybe not in this church, we have a lot of strong, long-term, long-time believers who have gone deep in, this, in the words of Jesus and have studied these words. However, there are a few that have not really looked into what does this really mean? What is salvation? So we, I want to go there. I want to go and look at some of the depths of these words in, in the time that we have here to really understand what is righteousness? What is sin? What is faithfulness? What is redemption? What is grace? And how does that all apply for us? Okay, or apply to us. So let's look at it. Romans 3.21 But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Okay, the first word that we're highlighting here is righteousness. Righteousness. So if we believe that Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God is the one who makes us acceptable, or Jesus is the one who makes us acceptable to God. By his righteousness, we are made clean. By his stripes, we are made clean. There is no other acceptance of righteousness aside from Christ. There is no other acceptance of righteousness aside from Christ. As we spoke two weeks ago about the role of the law, the law is there to identify what our sin is, right? So if the law is this, this guiding line that draws the parameters between what sin is and what defines sin, the only one who has ever lived that sinless, perfect life is Christ, and any other effort to try to live perfectly has failed. So the only righteousness that has fulfilled the, the wholeness of the law is Christ. Christ is the perfect righteousness. So apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Everything in the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, from Genesis all the way through uh, Malachi, is, is proclaiming that there needs to be a perfect, sinless atonement for you in order for your sins to all be cleansed. Jesus is that righteousness. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, so he is aside from all of that. Okay, The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. This righteousness can be the possession of any person. We can receive the righteousness of Christ through faith as Jesus, as your personal Lord and Savior, that he is the one who has saved you. And if he were to come down and you were the only person on the earth, 
he would do the exact same thing for you. Hebrews 11.1 clarifies for us or defines faith for us and says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Being sure of what we've hoped for and certain of what we do not see. The next big word in this, so in verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? This righteousness is needed because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is missing the mark, right? It's actually a term used in archery. If you don't hit dead center in the middle of the the target, you have sinned or you have missed the mark, right? The only one who has not sinned and who has not fallen short of the glory of God is Christ. So if we want the righteousness of Christ that that saves us from the, the judgment of the law, the only way that we can look is to Christ, which brings us to where we were Last week, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified. A lot of you have heard probably before, justification is just as if I've never sinned, right? Justification is saying you are now justified through Christ of the sins that you have committed, you are declared righteous. We're going to use those righteous terms. Don't you love those kids? I love them. I love them. I don't even mind that they're screaming. That means they're having fun. Okay. So justification is just as if you've never sinned. You have been declared righteous because of Christ and his perfection. Okay. All are justified freely by his grace. By his grace, unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve the justification through Christ. It's a free gift that he has given us. A person is justified and declared righteous freely or without cause as a gift is the grace simply because of God's grace. And this is extremely important for us to grasp. The grace of God is what makes Christianity, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for, um, a little absurd. I think absurd is the word. Christianity is absurd because we don't deserve it. We don't deserve the grace that God has given us in Christ. It's not reasonable. It's not um, something that... that should be given to us as if we deserve it. We don't. And I think our theology plays out a little slanted or a little bent in the wrong direction if we don't fully understand the grace of God. Even in some, a lot of the songs that are popular in Christian music, sometimes, I, I mean, it's not like I don't sing them, but the bent on them is a little wrong. It's, it's a little egocentric. When we start thinking, I'm saved, so I'm on God's team, and I, I'm singing about me, and I'm, you know, I'm worshiping God, and, and this God is so good to me, and, and the, the focus becomes on me. It's not about 
me. It should be more Christocentric. Egocentric says, I'm in the center of my world. And yes, I know Jesus, so I've received salvation. I know I'm in the part of the church, so I am the church. I, you know, and you start looking at how all these things affect me, when really we should be looking inward and saying, how can I support Christ? I'm on Jesus' team. Jesus has allowed me to be a part of his team. Jesus has brought me into what he is doing. Not I'm giving something so that I can bless Jesus. He is blessing us. He has allowed us. He has shown grace to us. So, when we understand what grace is and the unmerited favor that God has given us through Christ Jesus, our entire perspective should change. Now my life is about what I can do for him. Which brings us to the redemption that came by Christ Jesus through the redemption. Okay. We know what justification is. The means of this justification is redemption. The, the justification comes through Jesus Christ. We are justified because of Jesus Christ. We are redeemed by the price that Jesus paid. When we start looking at the words for redemption that they use uh, in the Greek to describe this, they can be defined as to purchase, to purchase out, to pay a ransom and to buy, or to pay a ransom and to set free. So there's this, this exchange that's happening between our sin, what we deserve, and what Jesus has paid for us. There is an exchange of guilt, an exchange of freedom that's transferred from where we're saying we're guilty, but Jesus is paying the price for our sins. So we've been set free. There's a, a story um, in some, what were they called? They were like ancient Kini papyruses, right, that talk about this this beautiful slave girl that was brought to market to be auctioned off. And she was expected to receive a, a large payment for her beauty. And the highest bidder kept bidding higher and higher and higher, where he paid a hefty wage for this slave girl. And when she was purchased, he set her free. Now, the slave girl could respond in multiple different ways and say, thank you, thank you so much, and go on her way. But she didn't. She came back to the man and said, thank you, thank you so much for, for paying for, for this to set me free. But the kindness of your heart, I see the kindness of your heart and the way that you treat people. May I please come and be a servant in your house because you have treated me better than anybody ever has. And she goes and becomes a servant by choice in the house of the master who loved and cared for her. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. When I went up on the mountain in Wyoming, the wind was whipping. 
it was 30, 40 miles an hour up on the top of this peak. And I remember just, I was getting pelted by the wind. So much so, it was cutting through. I was shivering. It was so cold. And I thought, I need to be able to get out of this, out, away from this wind, or else I'm going to freeze. It's so, it's so cold. I couldn't feel my hands. So I got up to the top where the sun was, and I laid down on the rock. I started praying. And the wind would go over the top of me, so it wasn't quite as cold. When you get down flat, it's, it's not cutting through your clothes quite as hard. And as I was praying, I remember th- um, praying to God, and, and I opened up my eyes, and I looked up, and all I saw was the sky. And it was like I was in that thin space between heaven and earth. And a sense of peace came over me, where I, I could rest in the arms of God, and I immediately started thinking of Abraham and Isaac. As if you don't know the story, Abraham went up on the mountain with his son Isaac to make a sacrifice to the Lord. On his journey up the mountain, he had thought that the the sacrifice that was to be given was his own son Isaac. And as he prepared him to get ready, God offered an alternative redemption plan. He said, it's not going to be Isaac. I'm going to deliver for you a pure, spotless lamb. And as Abraham looked up, he found the lamb in the thicket, and he was able to pull the, the lamb from the thicket. I was on top of the mountain, I was praying, and I thought of this story. And I was like, God, this is Redemption. And I started praying and, and walking, and it was time to go back, and I started walking down the hill, and I could have I swore. I heard a voice from the bushes, and I looked over because I, I literally thought it was someone talking to me. But there was nobody there. There was nobody there. And I, I closed my eyes, and I listened. And it was as if I heard through the wind the Spirit of God saying, this pure, spotless lamb that was offered to, Isaac, or to Abraham in, in the place of Isaac, this is the atonement, the redemption, that I have given for you as well. That Jesus on the cross was the lamb, the pure, spotless lamb. Lamb that was offered up as an atonement, as a sacrifice for us so that we didn't have to face the consequences of sin. The blood of Christ speaks of his sacrificial, substitutionary, he substituted in Jesus, in our place, sacrifice for sin. Every sacrifice in the Old Testament looked forward to Christ, the Lamb of God, who would be the sacrifice for sin. An old hymn says it this way, Nor silver nor gold hath obtained my redemption. No riches of earth could have saved my poor soul. The blood of, cross, uh, the, blood of the cross is my only foundation. The death of my Savior now maketh me whole. I am redeemed, but not with silver. I am bought, but not with gold. Bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. Precious price of love untold. All of this begs me to lead to the question of what is the purpose of our redemption? In 
Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Oh, sorry, one more. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Every time we sin, God offers grace over and over and over and over again. He desires a heart to continue to return to him over and over and over again. Just because his grace increases doesn't mean that we should continue sinning. By no means should you sin more. You should sin less as a means to try to honor God, please God, seek God, seek the righteousness of God. But if you do sin, grace increases all the more. The first purpose of our redemption is freedom from sin's power. Redemption liberates us from the bondage of sin. We are redeemed from sin. It should set us free, just like the the slave girl. We are set free, and in our freedom, we return to Christ, saying, your kindness, your love, your compassion is all for me, so I will serve you with all of my heart. I've been free from, set free from the power of sin, but I want to be succumbed to the power of the Master. Through the work of Christ on the cross, we are set free from the dominion of sin, no longer being slaves to its destructive influence, but being slaves and empowered to a life of righteousness and holiness. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The second purpose is to become a purchased possession of the Holy Spirit. We are possessed by the Holy Spirit. I know we, we think of demon possession as something, you know, that happens and we can be afraid of, you know, or, or you see it and, and it's a little scary when people change their voices and it can be a little creepy, right? Demon possession, I don't know if you guys have ever encountered it, but it's a, a real thing that we can talk, we talk about the evilness of it at times. But guess what? The other side of it the goodness of it is that we are possessed by the Holy Spirit. That when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells within us that we are no longer our own. We are Holy Spirit possessed. We become a possession because he has bought us with the blood of Christ. He bought us. If you've placed your faith in Christ, if you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Holy Spirit now lives within you. He possesses you. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus. The purpose of our redemption includes that gift of eternal life. I am no longer the person that I was before because Christ now lives in me. He lives in me. Through faith in Jesus, we receive the assurance of salvation and the hope of spending an eternity with Christ. We've been bought with the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. The third purpose that I wanted to point out today is that by being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we are called into his witness and service. For witness and service. Again, if we start thinking about this Christocentrically, where it's all about Jesus, it's all about him, our lives now 
in his possession become a mouthpiece for what he's done for us. That we are called to go and share the testimony of the goodness of God in our lives and to serve as Jesus served, laying down your life for your friends, for your enemies, for your neighbors, giving uh, unreasonably because he has already given you everything. It transforms us into newness of life. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should go forth through the praises of him who had called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There can be no comprehension of redemption apart from the knowledge that Christ bought us to set us free from our sins. We have been redeemed through Christ. I hope these just aren't, aren't just words that are spoken. I'm not preaching to you guys as a means to give you some theological understanding. These are the words of Christ through the book of Romans. He doesn't want you to hear them and go and leave and live the way that you have been living. He wants you to hear them and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wants you to feel the possession of the Holy Spirit in your life. He wants to challenge you because he loves you. I hope that this empowers you, impacts you in such a way that you don't leave from this room without being transformed in the renewing of your mind. If you would, go ahead and bow your heads with me. Let's pray. God, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us in this room is perfect aside from the redemption of Christ Jesus. God, this is the gospel, the good news, that we have been set free from sin by the blood of Jesus. You have purchased us from the enemy, from, from the grips of hell, from, from the grips of hatred, and, and you have set us free, God, free to, to act righteously, to be righteous and to be holy, to seek you out. God, may we always be Servants of the master, of the good, good master. Laying our lives down every day. Taking up our cross and following you. I pray, Lord, that our minds would be transformed. That our hearts would be transformed. That, that we would be people possessed of the Holy Spirit. To live and love for your sake. God, with all eyes fixed on you. God, with us, we turn our hearts toward you in praise and admiration. In your name, amen. Please stand with us.